Hello, my fanist friends. Welcome to my podcast feed. Powered by ACAS Plus, here's a joke from my son. What did the bum say to the other bum? That's a bummer. You know, not for everyone. Uh, so, uh, look, thanks to everyone who's come to see the previews of Can I Have My Ball Back. It's been going really, really well, and uh, I'm really pleased with how the show's turning out. It's officially on tour now from Wednesday. I'll be at the Leicester Square Theatre. A couple of tickets left. Lots of press coming to that one. It'd be lovely to sell out, but there are a few other London gigs not selling as well. So if you're going to come to London... Maybe look up those other London gigs. And then this week I'll be in St Albans on Thursday, Gloucester on Friday, Chorley on Saturday, which is sold out. You can join the waiting list. And Glasgow on Sunday, two shows. I think the earlier show is sold out. Check with the venue, but the later show has some availability. Come along if you can. If you enjoy these podcasts and like them being free, then the great way to pay me back is to buy a ticket to a show or buy a download or a book from gofasterstripe.com. But you can just keep listening for free as well. That pays me back also. So, you know, no no pressure. But I'd love to see you there. If you just know me from the podcast and don't know me as a stand-up, I'm pretty good as a stand-up. It's a good show. I think you're going to enjoy it. It's only made about seven men faint so far. So, you know, are you brave enough to take the challenge? Let's sit back, relax and enjoy whichever podcast you're listening to now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, my fan friends. Welcome to another episode of Rahalas Tapa this week with the monumental and legendary American scriptwriter Nell Scavell. If you don't know her name, you have definitely laughed at some of her jokes. This book, Just the Funny Parts, is amazing. And we have 20 copies of this to give away to 20 eager beavers. Uh, if you would like a free copy of Just the Funny Parts, please email herring1967 at gmail.com. With your address, so I can post it to you. And the first 20 people who answer this question correctly and spell it correctly will get a book. If you don't hear from me uh, and you don't get a book, you were too late. That's basically the answer. I will put it in the bin, in a big burning bin. Um, please answer this question. For which legendary comedian slash actor did Nell write a spec script that got her on her way to being a TV scriptwriter? Must be spelled correctly. Check it carefully. You're not Chris Evans, not that one. Make sure you get the name spelt right. First 20 answers that are correct will win a fantastic copy of this book. I'll probably chuck in some other stuff for you as well. I'm a nice guy. I'm paying the postage. What can I say? I bought the books as well. I'm a great guy. Anyway, I hope you uh, are enjoying my moustache. By the time you see this, it should be a little bit better than this. I'm recording this a couple of weeks before. Um, and uh, if you would like to donate to my Movember campaign, please head to rahalastupa.co.uk slash Movember with a little ma. 
Uh, or you can subscribe as a badger at gofasterstripe.com slash badges and all November badge money will go to Movember. Or you can subscribe on Twitch, twitch.tv slash rkherring. If you're with Amazon Prime, that is absolutely free. You can give £3.50 for nothing. Uh, and that money from November will go to Movember also. Uh, worth che- checking out the Twitch channel. Ali and Herring's Twitch are fun, a lot of fun. It's on YouTube if you want to catch up. It's also a podcast. I'm doing snooker and I'm doing stone clearing occasionally as well. So come and join the fun uh, and uh, just subscribe. Not subscribe, just follow me on there and uh, you'll get notifications whenever I am going live. Right, let's sit back, relax and enjoy Roller the Bar with Nels Gavel. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man whose book is out tomorrow. It's Richard Herring. Hello. Welcome to Richard Herring's Lockdown Second Time podcast. It's I told you it was coming and here it is. Uh, though I was hanging out with the 50,000 people who voted for Kanye West today. Uh, and they didn't know what the fuck was going on or what anything was called, to be fair. They didn't know what up from down. But one bloke I spoke to had written in Rahalastapa. So there we go. It's all good. Yes, my book is, uh, I'll go straight to the book. It's out. Um, it's, uh, I saw it in the wild just before the lockdown. My publication date was the 5th of November and lockdown starts on the 5th of November. So I thought I wouldn't get the pleasure of seeing my book in an actual shop, at least for a month. But, uh, it, there was one in Waterstones in Hitchin, and there it is. Uh, it looks like it's not on its own pile. There was one copy. Uh, I couldn't find one anywhere else. It looks like someone had picked it up and thought, nah, and then just thrown it on the pile of, of the books that people have paid to put on the table. But that's fine by me. That's still on the table, and it still counts. So you can buy that now, and it will be with you tomorrow if you're very lucky. So um, what's been going on? Um, well, uh, Biden, Trump. Uh, as we record, is uh, undecided. It's looking like it's edging towards Biden. Last night, I didn't want to go to sleep because every time in 2016 that I went to sleep, it seemed like one thing was going to happen. And then when I woke up, something terrible had happened. We'd entered the dark timeline. Um, This time I woke up and Biden was quite a long way ahead. And then within about half an hour, Trump had caught up. So it's still, I I still think it's me sleeping that is causing the problem. (laughs) I will try not to sleep ever again during any of these things and fingers crossed uh, we get there uh, a lot of uh, um a lot of controversy this week on taskmaster i'm on taskmaster i don't know if i've mentioned it channel four nine o'clock uh on thursdays uh i i had to do a film where i was upside down uh and i thought i did a pretty good job there's me on a ceiling that is me upside down very good special effects no one could work out how the light bulb is that is so straight and wonderful um, but Greg Davis gave me one point and it still hurts. And if that becomes crucial at the end of the series, I tell you, I've, I've, what I've decided to do, I'm just declaring myself the winner of Taskmaster now, even though I'm slightly behind and I'm not letting Channel 4 show any of the other episodes. And if they do, I'm going to take them to the Supreme Court, which I've loaded with Richard Herring fans. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> they love, they love Rahulis to play in the Supreme Court. Uh, and I have been last bit of stand up. I've been watching. Um, I've been catching up on Star Wars with my daughter, my five year old daughter. She's watching it for the first time. Actually, for episodes two and three, I'm watching it for the first time. I never bothered after the disappointment of episode one. I mean, you know, that's the fifth. You know what I'm talking about. The fourth one. Um, but uh, my problems with the resent, revenge of the Sith uh, were. Um, oh no, I picked up the wrong paper. There it is. That's good. Um, it was uh, in the scene where um, the Emperor appears as a hologram 
to the separatist leaders. Uh, and he says very pointedly during that, he says, Darth Vader will take care of you. But he doesn't, he does it in such a way that it clearly means that Darth Vader is going to kill them. I said to my wife, so Darth Vader is going to kill them then. It, the way he's, I know this isn't very topical satire, but <laughs> the way he says, well, Darth Vader will take care of you, it, it, they should have 100% replied, why did you say that in that weird way, Emperor? I, I didn't. Oh, you did? There were those air quotes all over that sentence. Is Darth Vader going to kill us? No. You're even saying no sarcastically. Jesus, why were you prepared to blow your entire plan for the sake of making an actually pretty lame joke? I mean, get behind it. You can deliver it without lacing it in irony. And believe me, as we're being slaughtered, we'd be thinking, oh, oh, when he said take care of us, he meant take care of us. But now, because of your insistence on making a Dr. Evil star rubbish joke, we're bolting the doors and not letting that cunt in. You're a rubbish evil emperor. emperor. So that is my... Maybe too late. I may be too late with the Revenge of the Sith material, but I've just watched it for the first time. Why does Obi-Wan Kenobi um, not kill Darth Vader when he's down or burnt? There's some spoilers here if you haven't seen it. He's, it just it seems cruel. He's burnt up and you should just put him out of his misery. I've, I've, got, a lot of, I've got a lot of problems with the film, is all I'm saying. And it, I'm dis- it's, dis- it's disgraceful. Anyway, n- enough of that. Enough of my hilarious half-cobbled-together stand-up. Uh, my guest this week, very excited, uh, come in. It's NY meets NH. New York meets North Hertfordshire, which is not quite as cool, uh, to be fair. <laughs> Uh, let's pretend North Hertfordshire is a very cool place to be. Uh, my guest this week is probably best known for writing the sitcom Three Girls and a Genie that uh, the pilot was not picked up. Will you please welcome the fantastic Nell Scavell, ladies and gentlemen. Here she is. How are Hello. you doing? Hello. Lovely to see you. Very glamorous for three o'clock in the afternoon. A little sparkly. <laughs> it's lovely. You look fantastic. Um that you've done you've written so many amazing things and i'm sorry it's just my hilarious joke that i do at the start of every episode but i'm quite intrigued by three girls and a genie i know you liked the sitcom i dream of genie yes and i and i wonder what i like about your book we'll get to is you do list everything you've ever written in the back and uh, some things successful some things not uh and did was three girls and a genie a, a good concept do you were you proud of it I was. Do you remember it? We're proud of all our children. Um, And I do think wish fulfillment is always a great source for comedy and drama. Yeah. So. There was three girls and they live in a a flat. I'm just, I'm very, I'm I'm writing a sitcom. Well, I, 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 again, I've written a pilot of it and it's been turned down by the TV, but I'm trying to put it together myself. Uh, but it is it has got a sort of genie in it, but it's about alternate universes. So it's a sort of sci-fi uh, sitcom where the, the genie can take you to different universes where you know everything happens. So it's a similar, you know, it's that similar concept of someone who can make your dreams or your nightmares come true. Uh, is that is that why were there three? Well, I just want to know about that. Let's talk about three girls and a genie for the entire. What were the three? Who were the three girls? How did they meet a genie? They um, they were college students, and they good. they had to um, decorate their dorm. And one had found this uh, lamp in the thrift store and thought it was um, uh, it would be a good addition. And if I remember, it was sort of that classic: one was rich, and yeah. one was poor, and one was 
I don't know, middle class. I don't, I yeah, yeah. and, uh, I, I don't remember much. I mean, it is no. interesting though, that, you know, probably Sabrina, the teenage witch yeah. is my, I created that show and it, it was a big hit. And so I was kind of in the right area. Yeah. But well, I like that. Time. Well, uh, Sabrina's got, is a very subversive and, and funny, I mean, it was out here as a sort of kid show, and I suppose it was a sort of teenagers, a young person show, but it was a very, it had a very adult sensibility behind it as well. And it was a very, it was, I think you could be fooled into thinking, oh, well, that's something. And then when you watched it, it was a fairly subversive comedy show, right? It was. And, and I think, you know, we did one episode where there were truth sprinkles. Sabrina wants to know if the boy she likes, likes her. So her aunt gives her truth sprinkles and they're all making bunt cakes in home economics. And she puts the truth sprinkles on. And of course, someone, she picks up her, her shaker and puts them on all the different bunt cakes so that everyone in the entire school is now telling the truth. And, um, I wanted to be honest. It was a kid's show, but I really wanted to portray the real world. And so the moral of that story was not we should tell the truth all the time, but wouldn't the world be a horrible place if everyone <laughs> yeah. told the truth all the time? Which is good because I think, again, in the 90s, there was a lot of uh, most American, especially <laughs> kids' TV shows, would end with that horrible cloying message or sometimes all the way through a horrible kind of cloying like you'd get a, you'd sometimes get a serious episodes of different strokes, wouldn't you? Where they would discuss something very, <laughs> very, very dark, but also they would. There was always like a message at the end of those Saved by the Bell, even those sort of things. So when you're up against Saved by the Bell, I mean, this was Chekhov compared to Saved by the Bell, right? <laughs> well, it's why The Simpsons, I think, was so enticing. I mean, it sure. blew my mind the first time I saw The Simpsons, and I remember the very first episode. Homer's taken the family to Mr. Burns' mansion for a company picnic, and the kids go running off, and Homer's screaming after them, be normal. <laughs> and I just thought it was the funniest thing because like sitcoms just didn't have that kind of edge. You know, if yeah. you were a father, you were going to give good advice, and you were going to hug your kid, and you were going to be Bill Cosby, which turned <laughs> out so great. Um but the Simpsons had it right. For any yeah. of us who now have children, like screaming "be normal" is yes, way well, closer I, to the truth. The curse of the writer is that people obviously are unaware of of us and you. You know, they. But if you tell people what you've done, so mention the Simpsons. You wrote what a, a, an episode of the Simpsons that I think everyone will remember and be able to quote bits off by heart. There's one of my absolute favourite bits in, in this episode, which is the blowfish one, one fish, two fish, blowfish, bluefish, where Homer eats some blowfish that he thinks is poisoned and has to make the last 24 hours of his life count. Well, what's uh, amazing I is it was early enough, it was the second um, season of the show, and one of the reasons... Um, they liked this pitch was it allowed us to get to know Homer better because yeah. the question was, what would you do if you knew you had 24 hours to live? Or as it turns out, 22 hours because the doctor keeps him waiting <laughs> for two hours in the waiting room. But, uh, and now that the show's been on 30 years, it's kind of unthinkable that we wouldn't know everything about Homer. Sure. 
Yeah, but it was I all... wrote a new episode that's going to happen. I heard. Yeah, so yeah. there's a new episode coming. So this is your second episode, like 20, 30 years apart. 30 years apart. Right? They told me I now hold the um, the record for the longest amount of time between <laughs> writing episodes, so I'm quite proud of that. Um, sorry, and- not sorry, it's called, is it? So I have a feeling this is, is it going to, uh, let, let me get, it's gonna, Lisa, is, is Lisa going to be at the centre of this one? And it's going to, yeah, it it's going to feature her, her standing up for women's rights. It's no? more complicated than that. Okay. But <laughs> they did come to me because I had just gone through, um, you know, an experience where I received an apology from David Letterman. I don't know. Do people in England know? They probably don't. They probably they might know this story. Tell this story for us, because I think I think that's yeah. We, we, we might know who Letterman. To. Like he's yes. Okay, so we um, know who Letterman is. We know we know, we know who Letterman is. It's a very long story. It is a very long story, but basically, <laughs> you well, have to I'll, read my book to get the read full the book. Thing. Here's the book. It's absolutely fantastic and if you're a writer especially it will make you feel a lot better but if you're a comedy fan it's it's a great look at the way uh, things work but yes you you revealed how there was a sort of a, a toxic atmosphere at letterman just in that he was the boss and he was and well i think people know that he, he admitted that he was sleeping with yes. his yeah. employees which uh, you know but it went beyond that there were in he was on the air for over 30 years and they never hired a single writer of color i believe right, yeah. there in 30 years, there were only nine women and well over 100 men. And those nine women, some of them never lasted more than six weeks. And, you know, it was it was a very, you know, and the show went off the air in, what, 2016, 2015? Right. It's not like this, we're talking about the Dark Ages. So, no, no. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't on the like the DuPont network in the 50s. So. Uh, anyway, so I, I um, spoke. You've been at the forefront this. of the the of the cha- you know of the change in terms of making people aware of you know every, of, of writers' rooms not being uh, being fair and and other things that we are more <laughs> more it aware. This makes of, it funnier when you have yeah. you know more of points of view and yeah. No, I agree. I've done. I mean, I do panel shows. And the radio ones tend to have a balance and uh, of sexism. It's much better. And I did a writer's room, which is my first time I've done one. I helped the female cause because I got sacked for not being good enough. Uh, but it was it was 50-50 male, <laughs> male, and women, male and female. And it was... Uh, Wait, being was a mediocre brilliant. male is not good enough anymore? So I was sacked. I was thrown off. And I, was, I said, that's... Ladies, that's for you. That's one for... That's one for the ladies. That's what I said as I as I left. As I left. No, they just rung me up and told them they weren't using my script and didn't invite me back. But I do want to be clear. Like I think women and men can write for any gender. Sure. I just think you bring different experiences to the table. And yeah. I tell the story in my book about being on the show called Warehouse Thirteen. I don't yeah. know if you got it. And I don't think we did get Warehouse Thirteen. It's but really things a good sort of show. Look, yeah. look it up and. Um, it was on the sci-fi network. I like, I write a lot of genre. I love Black Mirror. I would love to write for Black Mirror. And, um, you know, in the show, I, I did an episode where one of the main characters, the, the female, becomes magically pregnant. And I was getting notes on a call from eight different people. We had the studio. We had the network. And I realized I was the only one who had ever been pregnant 
Right. And so yes. one of them commented, I had this uh, a running joke about, because when I was pregnant, you get this very acute sense of smell. Um, and he was like, is that really a thing? <laughs> Are you making that up? <laughs> so yeah, well, it is. Yeah, it's it's um, yeah, it's crazy when you look at it. Even here in the UK, and even like you say, ten five ten years ago, you'd go into a room of all university educated white men, middle class, and it was the same sort of guys. And so, yeah, obviously, it makes drama and comedy more interesting to have shared experiences. But uh, you mean that yes. the population, yeah. Yeah, well, and, you know, and and also different types of people. That's what it just sort of... And I think in the, in the UK, stand-up comedy kind of all morphed around white men for much too much in the 90s. And then now it's, you know, we're getting a lot more different voices. And I think America's been better for that in terms of stand-up, in terms of most, you know, certainly for, I mean, different ethnicities, yeah. maybe not for, for females, but, but certainly for... In the last five or ten years, I think nearly all the good stand-ups who come through in the UK have been, have been women. And that's because... You know, it's just a slightly nicer environment for them. They've been welcome. But there we go. Yes. Uh, but what I love about the book are many things. I mean, there's lots of great advice for writers, which we'll get to. But it is that bit at the back where you, it just makes you, you know, I, I've written loads of scripts and a few of them have been made. Uh, but you've written, as I say, these massive successful scripts. Just that, that the Simpsons bit I was going to quote from that episode, which I, and I believe you wrote this line, because obviously there is a team working on these shows in America. But it's when Homer goes... But goes to is the kids are in bed and he's going goodbye Maggie you're so sweet uh, Lisa I'm, you've made me proud Bart I love your sheets that is one of the that's one of the cl- classic Simpsons lines I think it's one of the top ten episodes of the Simpsons isn't it and when it's when it's voted so they should have had you back before thirty years <laughs> uh, but you if you 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 list everything you've done and you know and there's many many of these things didn't get beyond pilot not piloted or piloted and not made. And that's the life of a writer, isn't it? I think this this is what this book shows, that even if you have, you've had early success and you've had continued success through your life, you've run your own shows, you've done worked in lots of different genres, and yet still you can't be... Uh, what, the Lean In thing where you wrote Lean In, with, which is this huge book with, the, uh, with Cheryl, Cheryl Sandberg. Uh, yeah, I helped Cheryl Sandberg write that. And uh, that was a huge... The book was a huge success. Then it says the film, Lean In. Didn't get, didn't get commissioned. You oh, go, and this is such a good script. That one, that one hurt. Yeah. That one really hurt. Which of all these shows that didn't get made and films that didn't get made would you most like to to see get made? Is there is there a favorite script? Oh, absolutely the Lean In movie. We did yeah. a table read with Kristen Bell, who right. was fantastic, and um, – Bradley Whitford was there too. I'm trying to remember who else. There were some really great people and it was delightful. And I will never understand. We literally, we went back, lots of big laughs. And we went back to the executive's office and uh, they looked at me and said, well, obviously we're not going to make it. (laughs) (laughs) What? Did you just see so I don't know. It's such. But a how weird does that business. not get that? You know, that's just astonishing. How does something you just look at that and go, "Well, the if the book's been that big a smash, why did why didn't Facebook just make it? Why didn't Facebook just give you the money and make it themselves?" Uh, well, they were not in the content business at the time. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? Your your the line I think of most often in Hollywood comes from Elvis Costello, 
And it's, I used to be disgusted. Now I try to be amused. And that's gotten <laughs> me through so much. Yeah. Well, that's because uh, I, I just through the noughties and the uh, probably the last 10, 15 years, I was getting, you know, it's lovely to get commissioned to write scripts and get, I was getting paid to write scripts. But every time, you know, you were getting not the, the, the people in charge would change just as you had to hand it in. So you were scuffered or it just wouldn't get there. And now you put so much into a script, right? Do you feel that? I mean, I feel like it feels, and I have babies now and I always used to say it feels like babies. It's not the same, but the emotional investment in it is huge. And you put a lot of time and effort into it and made it as good as you can. And then for it just to be sort of stamped on is it's psychologically very hard to recover from that, isn't it? So how is that you just, are you able to brush it off and move on to the next thing? I mean, clearly you are because you write so much. Well, I, I mean, I talk a lot in the book about how I sort of learn not to get too invested and, and yeah. not to, you know, to kind of numb it down so that the highs aren't high and the lows aren't low and, and you just kind of, approach it professionally. I, I don't think there's wasted scripts. I learn something every time I write a script. So I'm, I never feel like I wasted my time or, um, you know, if you're getting paid, then you're like, well, I knew the odds going in. Uh, but I do, um, you know, I like writing. So that makes it a lot easier. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I do when it's going well, and I, I you're so prolific. I find, I find it, um, you know, I just, I find I get disheartened, and I think it's partly down to possibly the difference between the UK and US systems, which I'm quite interested in. In that, the US sitcoms are are often written by a team. You'll be brought a lot of these things. You've been brought in to write an episode or to come and help just punch up other people's scripts, or you'll write a script, what a script, and other people will punch it up. Do you think that that I'm very good when there's a deadline and I can write very quickly and I've written, I wrote a sitcom that I had to basically write an episode a week on my own and, and then it was made. Oh, that'll that make you a good writer. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was pretty good, although it burnt me out for a bit. Uh, and also I earned some money, so I, I didn't feel the impact, the need to work so hard. But is, do you think that that's, do you think, because as a UK writer, it's, it's a lot of sitting on your own, just trying to get stuff done is how much of your life is sitting on your own trying to get stuff done and how much of it is, in a room full of people sort of knocking stuff back and forth? Um, you know, you <laughs> the grass is always greener. So when, when you're in a room, you think, oh, I just want to be off writing my own thing. And when you're off writing your own thing, you're like, oh, this would be so much more fun if I were in a room. Um, yeah. And I actually, so I like bouncing between both because it really does make me appreciate yeah. what's good about the other situation. Yeah. Uh, I think you find it quite. I think you find it quite easy to write. I mean, I've heard you on one of the other podcasts I was listening saying, you know, it's not writing a sitcom. It's only half an hour, twenty minutes. It's not that. It's not that hard. And people take six months writing a, a sitcom episode. And how how quickly can you generally write a sitcom episode once something's up and running? Oh, you know, in a weekend if I have to. Really? Yeah. 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 But I talk about in the book how there are three elements to every room. There are the people, the product, and the process. So the people is, you know, who you're working for, what the atmosphere is like, are you working, um, you know, with, with people who respect you, who are um, uh, just nice to hang out with. The, sure. the processes, are the hours long? Are they, is the studio throwing out scripts? Um, and then the product is, 
you know, is it a show you're proud of? Is it, is it Monk or The Simpsons or, or is it a show like NCIS or Charmed, which people really like, but it was yeah. not my favorite show I worked on. Okay. Um, <laughs> And the truth is, when you look at when I went back while writing my book and looked at people, product and process, most shows I worked on had one. Yeah, I felt I was lucky when I had two and there were only two shows I'd ever worked on that had all three where I was really happy and proud of all three. Which were there? Which which two were there? So Sabrina, I'm guessing. Sabrina, yeah. When I was yeah. the boss, I happened yeah. <laughs> to be very happy. And then uh, Murphy Brown, which was okay, yeah, a real delight. And the cast was very professional. And interestingly, so that was a long time ago. Um, that writing room, we're still all friends, right? And it was also the first time I was in a writers' room with um, other women. And it was okay. a it was a forty sixty split. One of one of the executive producers was a woman, and I think it actually made it a more enjoyable experience for everyone. That it sure. it resembled the real world more than some of these kind of locker room shows. Yeah, because I guess some of those rooms, if, if it gets competitive, or sometimes a personality clash can be great for right writing comedy, but. I guess if you're there for a year working on a, a sitcom and come back every week, that that personality clash becomes a bit, a bit much to bear. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's a room of you, but yeah, uh, I was you know, always there's always like the asshole. Almost yeah. always there's one person who you go, oh, if it just weren't for that person, this would be so good. And, and that's what they did on my sick. They got they yeah. got rid of the asshole on my one. You? So that that was yeah. They took me out, and then I think since then it's been just running so smoothly. <laughs> I did once write a movie that was all about a, it was about a man who gets promoted um, and he has to fire a bunch of people. And his whole arc is him realizing, when did I become the asshole? <laughs> but well, they didn't make men, that one either. More men need to realize that. If they, that's what my, well, that's what my books are. I mean, if you're, if you're good at your job, eventually you do become the asshole. Sure. I suppose. I suppose. I, well, I think. It doesn't seem to me. I'm now, admittedly, I've mainly know you from reading a book that you've written about yourself. But you don't seem to. You don't, you seem to be a very grounded uh, and interesting person. And you know, I think I, you don't seem to be that. You just. I don't think you're an asshole, though. You know, you may have left those bits out. This this is a little bit of a segue, but you'll understand what got me here. So it's it's hard to write a memoir, and certainly when you're a woman and you sort of grow up like. Nobody wants to hear your voice. And I was always kind of the little brown mouse in the corner. It would be hard. And and I'd hit days when I'd be like, I don't know why I'm writing this. Does anyone care? And then I would remember that Christopher Hitchens was the same age as me when he wrote his memoir. (laughs) And I was like, I bet he never had a moment of (laughs) self-doubt. I bet he never took a second to wonder if people wouldn't be fascinated with his life. And and that would propel me forward. Good. Well, I'm glad it did because it's honestly, I mean, I know it's been out for a couple of years, but it's. I would advise everyone to get it. If you're a comedy fan, which people watching this will be, uh, if you're a comedy writer, you definitely need it. It's just, it's full of good advice. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's some good stuff. Well, let's talk about uh, the Gary Shandling show, which it like astonishingly, I mean, this is what I find it. You basically asked to write a Simpsons script and you were allowed to do it. And I know it was early on, but yeah. that was sort of crazy. But you, the, this was your first sitcom script you just on spec wrote an episode of the gary sandling show which was uh his first tv show before larry sanders which went on to be more better known but yeah. absolutely that i think larry sanders is up there as possibly the best ever sitcom but i, I also love i i also love the gary sandling show which was again a, a, literally taking out the fourth wall and uh in the uk sean's show turned out to be very similar uh, afterwards, which was obviously heavily influenced by it, but it's, it's an incredible show. But you just sent in a, a script, uh, which they liked enough to sort of fly you over to meet them, right? Which is astonishing. Yeah, it was supposed to be a work session, but <laughs> Gary wasn't in the mood to work, so we ended up playing ping pong. And, yeah, and uh, it was a perfect introduction to Hollywood because nothing went as planned. Um, and, but they, uh, but it was the start of my career. And when people ask, um, you know, what should, how should I start writing for TV? I always say, pick a show that you really like, that you think suits your sense of humor. Because the Shandling show wasn't that popular, but I sat down and wrote one because I got that humor. It was really funny to me. And there were people like, Gary Shanling and Albert Brooks. Um, you know, it was Albert Brooks's movie, Real Life. I don't know if people know that one in the UK. I, not so much, I don't think. Yeah, I've so heard good. you talk about him and I've, I've not seen it. So I must, I must check it out. It's so it good. Down. And you'll yeah. see he's, he doesn't wink at the camera. It's pure character comedy. Um, and that was my favorite. As opposed to, you know, uh, someone like Woody Allen, who's just cracking jokes. And I like that too, um, you know, before he started dating his daughter. But uh, the more subtle character comedy is really, you know, 
yeah. the best. So, so, but it's it was was that was that a bit of a mind fuck to suddenly find yourself if it had been me and Gary Shandling had been in, you know even at that stage and Gary Shandling had been interested in my script and giving you compliments. What, did you take that in your stride or were you thinking, how the, how the fuck has this happened? <laughs> well, I, I had this whole other profession. I was a magazine writer. Sure. In fact, your, your, uh, your friend Tina Brown had hired me for Vanity Fair when I was in my 20s. And um, I only thought of TV because I bumped into a friend who was an editor one day. And she said to me, I don't mean this as an insult but I think you could write for TV. <laughs> and it hadn't occurred to me. I'd grown up on the East Coast. I I'd, um, lived in Boston and New York. And I would, at the time, I was like, wow, I guess people do write for TV. Um, so I like TV. <laughs> yeah. So everything, even to this day, everything seems like gravy <laughs> to me with television. <laughs> Do you get starstruck, though? Because I think I always did get, you know, I'd always get a little bit starstruck. I heard there was a story, I think, from the Vanity Fair party. You were telling about Colin Firth, who I also uh, sat, I sat behind him at a pantomime and recognised him. I couldn't think of his name. So I was was Googling him, but I'm really terrified that he would look and see. I think he might have been actually sitting next to me and I was Googling him to try and find out his name. I could remember everything he was in and then I, I couldn't think of his name. That's quite bad. But you had a you had a Oh, I a humiliated in. myself in front yeah, of Colin. Which is enjoy it's enjoyable. Tell us about that. So I used to because I had written for Vanity Fair for for a very long time, I still do. Um, I would get invited to their big Oscar parties. So, you know, it was above my pay grade, but um, you know, I was basically the help. And one evening that year that Colin Firth won for the King's speech. I was actually waiting for my car at the valet when he and his all-female entourage um, came out to get their car. Now, obviously, they were not going to wait. They pulled the limo right up. But Colin Firth, ever the gentleman, opens the car door, and he's letting the ladies in. And as he does it, he turns, and he and I make eye contact. Like I'm having a moment with Colin Firth on the greatest night of his life. And we're just feet apart. And I feel like I should say something. So I do. And what I say is, well done, Mr. Darcy. (laughs) And he just, he goes like this. (sighs) (laughs) And he like shoves the last woman in and gets in and he slams the door and he, they drive off, and I was just like, what have I done? So I called my sister the next morning, and I was like, I tell her that story, and she goes, don't you know he hates to be reminded of that role? And he, she said he was just like interviewed for the LA Times, and he mentioned it. And I was like, I had no idea. I feel terrible. And my sister, who is like a great Bennett sister, says, well, don't feel bad. If he didn't like being associated with that role, he should stop playing it so much. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also true. I mean, it, it, this is something that's come up. For you. I had Michael Palin on uh, a few oh. months ago, the last the last show before lockdown, the first lockdown. 
Uh, and he was so delighted to re reminisce about, you know, I thought, oh, you won't want to talk about this or that. But he started doing bits of the sketches. <laughs> and He was so happy. It made him so happy. And you kind of think there's two kind of personalities in showbiz. The people who go, oh, that thing made me successful. And but now it's a it's a weight around. It's an albatross around my neck, literally for John Cleese. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've got people who kind of revel in it, which is what you should do, because that is that is why he's there. That's why he's won for the King's Speech, even though he isn't yeah. Mr. Darcy in the King's Speech for once. But Richard, I, Michael Palin, you asked me a question earlier. Can I yeah. repeat it about was there something as a child I didn't like that as yeah. an adult? I didn't appreciate Michael Palin when really? I first started watching Monty Python. I mean, I liked him, but John Cleese and Terry Gilliam yeah. were, I'm sorry, Terry Jones were much broader and funnier. And then as an adult, you start watching and you're like, Michael Palin is brilliant in everything. He and is. he's so good. So there's there's your answer. Yeah, well, that's good. I'm glad that, well, that was a question for, uh, for the backstage. If you become a badger and you can see the question. Yeah, he's definitely, I, I have the same, you know, obviously I think as a kid, you're looking at John Cleese and John Cleese is the standout kind of larking, funny, funny walk guy and very funny. Though, but also it's every single step of their career. I was watching John Cleese. He's on Cameo, which I've become quite obsessed with, uh, where uh, Michael Ian Black's on Cameo as well. I keep making him do Cameos for me because he'll do it for seventy eight five dollars uh, So you, you know what Cameo is? It's where you can get a message from a celebrity. So you just say email in and say, pay $85 or whatever. I think for John Cleese it's $265, and he'll give you a message. But I looked at one of John Cleese's ones, and he was just eating some food. He was, hey, his head was right at the bottom. And he was just eating some food. I thought, this is a come down for Basil Fault, isn't it? This is this is a man who did all this amazing work. And Michael Palin is, I think, yeah, absolutely. He's my absolute. I asked him to be my dad. He accepted. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work out this Christmas. I'm going around at Christmas to see. The social distancing is going to be a problem. But I'm and, gonna... and, of course, these celebrities, they give the money to charity. The, the, no, no, not John Cleese. <laughs> I think some people would. <laughs> Michael Ian Black doesn't. I, I used done. I used done two. I'm going to. Thing is, I didn't pay him for being on the podcast, so I'm going to do four. Uh, I'm going to give him four cameos. So they'll they'll they crop up in this every. All now right. Again. Well, just buy a bunch of my books for your friends will, I'll for buy Christmas. A, I'll, buy, I'll, buy <laughs> well, I'll, I'll send. I'll send them. It's it's so it's so good. Uh, and some of the actually some of the advice that came out. I think this was. Um, this is just all the way through. There's these great advice, and this is this is what you got from the uh, the um, Gary Shandling show. I think this was maybe Albert Brooks said this to you, did he? Uh, that the three things: never be afraid to write on spec, don't ask friends for work, and take any job that comes your way. You never know where it might lead, and those are such good, such clever bits of advice for a new writer. I think, yeah. don't you? Because it's, I think so many people write to me and say, I've written a film and I, you know, how can I, can you get this to someone who can make it? And I go, I can't get my own stuff made. I don't know why you're sending this to me, but you know, why are you starting with the film? Why are you starting? You know, it might work out for you, but, but really, you know, it's exactly what you did, isn't it? You wrote on something on spec and it led to other things. And, right. Right. Um, and you took work that you didn't necessarily wasn't your first choice, but led to other things. Well, I think you never know what you're good at often till you try. And sure. and one of the other pieces of advice that I deeply believe, um, and I tell it to a lot of young women who might be afraid to take a risk or not be good at something. I say, if it's something new, like, what have you got to lose if you're 
if you're great at it, then you just learned an incredible piece of information. And if you're not good at it, you can just say, hey, I never did it before. What did you expect? <laughs> and that's that has served me well. Yeah. It is, well, it's sort of, but it's, it's interesting. And, I, you know, I do, having talked to a lot of people, the kind of way in is, is often seems just from the, from the outside, you think, could that work? Would writing a script for Gary Shandley and sending it to, would that work? Or, you know, or just happen to meet someone. But, uh, you know, that's more likely to work than just sitting at home going, what do I have to do? Who, you know, or just emailing people and asking, well, how do I, how do I get on? You know, just be, I suppose it's being proactive. The interesting one of those pieces of advice, I think, is don't ask friends for work, which isn't, you know, isn't something you would implicitly put as your number two piece of advice, but it's actually a really clever piece of advice as well, right? Well, the two things I want to say about that is, one, he said, because your friends know if you're available and if they wanted to hire you, they would. Um, And the second thing is, I think it was a message to me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, don't ask. (laughs) So it worked on a couple of Worked on a couple of levels levels there. Um, But, But the other thing is, so I wrote this spec, it sold, but then it wasn't made. And then there was a lull. I had to write another spec. And, you know, it was not like rocket ship. You know, it was start and stop. And I, I really believe that I just got enough positive reinforcement along the way to keep me going. Sure. Yeah. But, but I think also there was just something in you that was pushing you on to do. And I think that's, that's the main thing anyone in this business think needs is just sort of the desire to do it. So it feels to me like you would have written a Gary Shandling script for, you know, even if it wasn't going to be sent in, you would have written a script for the Simpsons. You, you, you got enough pleasure out of doing those jobs that even had they not been made or if they, which were, I mean, the Gary Shandling wasn't made, but got, you weren't paid, you were paid for it. Um, you know, it would, it would have been an interesting experience for you. So I think it, it, it is about, you know, the dedication and the interest, I suppose, in it. Uh, I'm, I, it's a book that sort of, you know, it's reassuring if you are a writer. It's sort of maybe off-putting if you're not a writer in the, you know, you, you, you know, you, it's called Just the Funny Parts and a Few Hard Truths about sneak, sneaking into the Hollywood boys clubs is the is the subheading. And, it, you know, it is about the hard times as well. And so you, you give this four stages of the Hollywood writer, which is near the beginning, which is, you know, which which is who is Nels Cavell, get me Nels Cavell, get me a younger Nels Cavell, who is Nels Cavell. So those are the four. And what I liked was you put a younger, warning. That, cheaper, Nels. Yeah, younger, cheaper. A warning that prepares you for a tragedy while doing and nothing to prevent it. And then you get old it. and you loop around again to yeah. who is Nels Cavell. <laughs> You're lucky but, you get, so, yeah, so, you get so it's second. full of stuff like that. It's good, but it is, it's sort of reassuring. But also I'd say that Simpson, the chapter about the Simpsons, which again we won't go into it now, but if you read that, it's a, if you're interested in the mechanics of how a Simpsons episode was put together in those early days and the back and forth and how it, you created and you created the streetcar named Desire was a was was well, a different suggestion, it, for, but yes, know, together in the room and then that was rejected for this episode went on to be another very successful episode as well and that's that I suppose that's where I mean The Simpsons is an interesting show right because there's 200 episodes that that probably rank up with the greatest stuff ever and then there's another 200 episodes yeah. where you know it's it can't possibly keep up that level of or can it I mean it, it's I, I, don't, I don't watch it as much as I did now but it's I'll definitely watch yours I've got them all. They're all on. They're all on Disney Plus. I'm going to watch every single one from start to finish. 
but my you feel favorite it's... things was when I worked on Warehouse 13, there was a younger writer who was in his 20s. He was a story editor and we got along great. And basically he'd grown up watching The Simpsons. Yeah. So his sense of humor was exactly like mine. So even though we were from really different backgrounds, I felt like I had kind of helped raise him. Yeah, um, and- <laughs> but it's you know, but it's been along for around for so long that it absolutely, you know, people have grown up to it. I've I've been showing my daughter it, and you know, she 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 lo- loves certain things about it that a five year old can get. Uh, so it works for the whole family, and it is. And I think those early episodes, I guess, it's partly that passion of the writers. I think partly just because it constant concentrates so much on that family unit. It's what you liked about it when you saw it. I think it's this dysfunctional family. But it's about the love that binds them them together despite everything, but then also pushes them apart. You know, it, it's well, it, 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 it's also very freeing because it's animation. So, sure. <laughs> you know, when you're back then, there weren't that many single camera shows. They were these three multi cam, three camera shows. And you were locked into your three sets and then you had your one swing set. Then suddenly you get to write animation and you know, Barney's in jail and Homer gets a flat tire and you know, you're just all over the place. Yeah. But I think those early ones work because maybe it's because of that, you know, that passion where you're creating three episodes out of one episode, but also there's just something It's more simple. They didn't, they didn't, you know, they almost make jokes in the early episodes about we're not going off on crazy adventures. You know, this is where we introduce, there was one episode that when we, when we introduced the crazy space character who comes in, and they did lots of things where they, where they parodied other cartoons failing to carry on. I mean, it's a, such an incredible achievement to have a show that's run that long. And it's such an incredible achievement to, you know, have two two scripts and not be on the team. You know, you're not on the team now, but you're you no. just, whenever you want, you can just nip and go, all right, I'd love, you know, I would love to write an episode of The Simpsons. I'd love to write an episode of The Gary Shandling Show. That's less likely. Um, probably, probably well, not going to happen. I wrote now. an episode of The Critic, which nobody's right. seen. From oh, right, yes, group. but he—that was a crossover, right? The Critic turns up in one episode. Of no, the, the Critic was for ABC. It was a whole oh, was different, oh, was different okay. thing. But that was that. Um, uh, it might not be as well known. Well, there was a movie about it. So my episode aired opposite Nancy Kerrigan and Tonya Harding da- uh, skating in the Olympics. All right. <laughs> against each other and it was literally this isn't hyperbole the lowest rated <laughs> primetime show in abc history at the time <laughs> but like there's lots because i've been listening so to, lots of podcasts with... to invested in any of these. i know but you but you pop up at what is just amazing and this that's what i think it's sort of interesting, I think, from an outside perspective of this book, because, you know, most people won't won't necessarily know your name, but they will know the stuff you've done. And you sort of pop up in the last three decades, you pop up and you're sort of, you've got a hand in nearly everything. I don't think it's in the book, but you mentioned on a podcast working with Larry David and you came up with the the idea of him taking flowers from the roadside memorial. I don't like to talk about that because it's such an evil thing to do. I know, but I it's a, but... that, and they just look at me like, "Who are you? Why would you ever think of that?" <laughs> but that's but the thing is that that um, you thought of it and didn't do it. That's the thing, so, and that's what that's the writer true. is, right? So you think of it, go, "Whoa!" I mean, I mean, if you get in a room, do that, but Larry no, David would do. That. It would be funny, but like that's what a writer's room often is, isn't it? I mean, in the writer's room, it seems to me there's. 
ideas thrown up that you know can never ever be said anywhere. <laughs> the room or in- moment is I was the one who gave Miss Piggy her tail was responsible wow. for us seeing Miss Piggy's tail for the first yes. time. It's canon now. There was a question <laughs> about whether Miss Piggy would have a tail or not. Yeah. She does. <laughs> and what had what how did you why did you make that decision? Remind me, because that's in the book. Well, I wanted to do an episode. Remember, I don't know if you know that the Janet Jackson nipple incident when she had the the wardrobe malfunction. So I was working on uh, the reboot of The Muppets. And it was a a more adult show. And I thought, well, what if Miss Piggy were on the red carpet and she had a wardrobe malfunction and we saw her tail? Um. (laughs) And I went to the um, main Muppet guy and I was like, well, does Miss Piggy have a tail? And he said, I, I don't know. I get." And he said, well, I guess so. And I said, have we ever seen it? And he said, no. And I said, could we see it? And he just got the biggest smile because he just <laughs> all clicked in. And it's a really sweet episode because, you know, she has to um, accept that her pigginess um and and be okay with that right in the book you say there's a quote you say about people say to you oh, it must be so much fun working on the muppets and you say that's one of the great fantasies of of hollywood so why was why wasn't it fun working on the muppets or was it fun it sounds well, like that say, was fun. i compare it to being like an oompa loompa in, in <laughs> uh willy wonka's factory like every yeah. If you're an outsider, you're like, it's all chocolate waterfalls. And, you know, if you're the in- inside, like you're yeah. staying up late cleaning up after the, you know, the nut eating, the nut cracking squirrels. So, I mean, that I, I, there were just too many Swedish chefs in the in the kitchen on that show. <laughs> OK, <laughs> so. Well, yes, that's fair enough. We'll draw a veil over it. But um, and well, there's there's a lot more to talk to you about. But you've also written for. We'll maybe get onto politics in a second. But you we you've written. Why is anything happening in the political? I think world something world? might be going. I was I was hoping. You know, it's just fingers crossed that America would still be there when I when we connected and not in flames, which is it seems to be as we speak. At least it's not. Um, but so you you worked with Obama, Barack Obama, and wrote jokes for his for his speeches. I, so, I was honored. It was uh, what you know. The, never joined the army, but I've done what I could for my country. Um, and you know he he's got Johnny Carson's timing. He's sure. And he's in fact he did it. Someone put up a video recently, and they they compared it. He had Chris Rock's timing. Right. But maybe he's gotten a little. Um, uh, you know, more savvy, but uh, he was a delight. I've written for Hillary Clinton. Right. Um, I wrote jokes for her, and she was great too. Cool. How'd you go about? But hey, how'd you get that gig? Are you are you sending in jokes on spec to Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, or someone said, "Come and come and write jokes"? Is, is this through lead, Lean In? Is that is it that was? The, it was complicated. It came in through Facebook. Um, yeah, and it was just wonderful timing that I, I got to write for him. I mean, I, and, uh, do you get to meet him to go or just, do you send him a list of jokes or do you get to chat with them and say, what would you like to, what are you, what are you interested in? No, doing? I mean, I did get to go to the white house and, and yeah. hang out with some of the speechwriters who are 
just amazing. And they're, in addition to being super smart, they, they're actually all very, very funny, or at least yeah. in Obama's White House, they were. And they went off and did um, Pod Save America, which has become this huge, successful podcast. Uh, but you know, it's, it's so similar to TV writing. And I, I always think of like Barack Obama was the leader of the free world, but he lived with his wife, his mother-in-law and two daughters, which always felt like a sitcom to me. Yeah. Well, as I was thinking, the sitcom at the moment is the uh, Melania lookalikes at oh, the, the White House. There should, there should be five Melanias who are all sort of sitting around in the White House waiting for their turn. Well, even and their, rela- real- their relationship with the real Melania, that'd be a good... Well, I'm the just- real Melania is pretty fake too. So. Yeah, that's true. Fingers crossed Donald Trump's one so that what I can pitch that sitcom. What if it got to, like, the, you did a sketch where the fake Melanias are, don't remember which one's the real Melania, and they're trying <laughs> to figure it out. Maybe that's my Black Mirror episode. There we go. That's, I think we've got it. Well, I know Charlie Brooker, but you're not allowed to pitch. If you pitch it to him, he can't use it. That's oh. why I, I, I pitched him one by a DM, but it was only a sort of joke one about... Uh, it was like the uh, a sex version of the purge where you're able to everyone's oh. allowed to go out and have sex with anyone they want, but it's about people who can't get a babysitter that night and are stuck, are stuck in the house. So they can't Why aren't you writing that movie right now? Well, because I just have the ideas, then I write them to Charlie Brooker, and he says he won't can't use them. Um, but are I can you, put. Can a, you I can, just go back into lockdown. You have no. We idea. do. Yes, I should. I mean, I but you know, I just I'd rather just play with puppets and just things on, on Twitch. Now I'm just, you know, I've got to. I saw a thing that at 54 you lose your get up and go. Um, that's that's the study that this week on Twitter it came out. And I'm 53, but I think I was I was reading it in the bath while I was playing uh, some video game in the bath for two hours. So I think I may have I may have hit it early. Kurt Vonnegut said women lose their uh, sense of humor. Really, I think he said at 30. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on borrowed time. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Kurt Vonnegut was pretty good, but he's my he's my favorite. I like him, too. but then every now and again, a little thing. But he was a man of his generation. He was. He was. Is that are we allowed to say that? about I'm a man of my generation. I'm a man I'm, of my I'm, generation. I'm a man of my generation. So, how are you feeling? I, I know you are very the title well. of my next memoir. <laughs> a man of my generation. <laughs> Well, good. We've come up with some good ideas. And how are you feeling about the situation? We're recording this on the fourth uh, of November. Uh, with we, it looks like Biden may win, but that we've been there before with this sort of thing. Um, I, I know you were very worried about this when I when I even said, "Can you do the fourth of November?" You said, "You know, that's the day after election day." Um, do you think we're? Do you think he's going to be okay? And do you think America's going to be okay? Well, in the reality show that is Trump's presidency, I feel like we're in the series finale and it's this cliffhanger, but it's a two-parter. So I think we're, we're going to get our happy ending. Yeah. But it's, I think people wanted this landslide, this repudiation. The other side's cheating. So the way I compare it is if you were in a soccer game and the other soccer goal was half the size of yours, and you just said, well, okay, we'll outplay. I guess we just have to outplay you. We'll let you cheat, but we'll outplay you. You know, you can at best squeak out a victory, which I think sure. they're doing, but it's hard to beat people under those yeah. circumstances. Well, it's, I mean, it's seen, uh, both in the UK and America, the, I mean, there's an archaic element to the political systems, I suppose, where 
you know, in in the UK because it's all constituencies and you can, you know, people are a party will get way ahead even though they're getting less votes which is sort of what's happening donald trump didn't get as many votes as hillary biden's got more votes than anyone's had in history at the moment <laughs> we're up to so it's it it feels like things need to change but they see i don't do you think, do you think there's going to be a change or is it just going to keep on going it's sort of rolling the other way and will there be a reaction to that it's putin's world we just live in it <laughs> I mean, it's, well, I'm glad things are okay for for the moment. Uh, I'm glad you're yeah. still up and running. So you've got an episode of The Simpsons coming up. Is there anything else in the in the pipeline that you can talk about, or is it? No, I'm developing a show with someone for Netflix, um, and uh, and I just wrote a new spec. I, you know, I I always say the day I can't sit down and write a new spec is the day I'm done with Hollywood. So it's still fun for me. And are you writing more the sort of sixty-minute slots now rather than the third, the sort of sitcoms? It moved into more of the longer shows. Or are you still? Well, I've still kind of gone back. So have you? Sitcoms had gotten really short because there were so many commercials. When I started, a sitcom was twenty-six minutes and change. Today they're twenty-two minutes, twenty-one yeah. minutes once you have your title sequences, and I really felt that limited your stories but if you go to netflix they're half hours sure and so you 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 know just as a percentage of time you can really develop your characters and do your twists that are fun sure sure although i just i'm so impressed with some of those american series because in the uk i think like the shortest i've had to write is like 24 25 but in, like something like Rick and Morty, which is the thing I'm obsessed with for the, for the last few years. But anything Dan Har- Dan Harmon's doing, he seems to get so much so much into those 22, 23 minutes. Sometimes you kind of think when you go back to you, go, how the hell was that one episode? There's so much in there. Um, but talking of sci-fi, uh, I did I did want to ask you about your uh, X Files. You 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 wrote an episode of the X Files, and this is a this is a good story to end on because it's a story of failure. Which is the, is the is the fate of the writer? Even though we've we've got we've covered most of your successes, I think. But uh, well, I was a big happened? fan of the X Files, and they invited me to pitch ideas for a freelance episode. Um, I, I pitched to Chris Carter. He really liked one of my ideas. I developed it. They hired me to write it. I wrote a very detailed outline. I turned it in, um, didn't hear back, which was a little weird. Then my phone rings. It's Chris Carter. And he tells me, um, I have bad news. We just decided to give the one remaining freelance slot uh, to someone else. And I was just taken aback. And then he explained Stephen King had contacted them and asked them to write uh, a script and so it's pretty hard to be upset about getting replaced by Stephen King I mean if, yeah. you're, if you're a writer and you're replaced by anyone you you would want it to be by the most successful writer he's done enough though hasn't he? he's got enough stuff he's, he's, everything's basically a short story every film is a short story by Stephen King it turns out more or less so he's, well, it's a shame I mean, the kicker of the story is it turned out to be one of the most hated episodes of all time <laughs> and uh uh it was not, no one was happy with how it turned out, including okay. uh, Stephen King. So. <laughs> 
we were obsessed with that uh, with the X Files again early early on, yeah. and we took when we toured. I was in a double act, and we toured in a van, and it had a video player in it, which we just couldn't believe. It was a little sort of minivan, and it had a video player. And we bought the first series of the Simpsons of the, the uh, X Files, sorry, and uh, we every episode we would just sing all the way through the through the title music the x-files is on now the and then when it was finished we were saying the x-files is over and that's my main memory of the x-files that and eugene tombs uh those are my two the memories cigarette of the man X-Files. you remember yeah. everybody oh, remember. i remember him and gillian anderson was lovely in it and the guy was Mulder was okay too and then they did that song Mulder and scully that was good too. Uh, right. You know, I, think I, I always wanted the scene I always wanted them was to get called back to the home office and get screamed at for their cell phone bills <laughs> because they were always on their cell phones. And it was back in the day when that was really yeah. expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't important. You just invade the aliens don't exist. Stop wasting all our money. This is costing us a fortune. <laughs> better find those aliens. <laughs> Well, look, it's been an absolute d- delight to meet you, Nell. Um, I'm a huge fan, and uh, there's so much more we could talk about, but I'm going to let you get back to your political situation and your afternoon in New York. Um, thanks so much. My wife sends her best. My wife loves you as well. Oh, and she wants, to, she wants you to be on her podcast as well. But I might... Is she on Twitter? Can I follow her? She's on Twitter. Yeah, she's called Katie Wilkins, I think. Katie Wilkins? Twitter. Wait, Katie Wilkins. Look out for her. She does a podcast called Drunk Women Solving Crime, but you don't have to drink to go on it. You could go on it. I think you'd be oh, very okay. good on it. Um, I will follow her. Oh, so, and can there I you my, uh, if you want to follow me, um, yes. Nell Sco. So N-E-L-L-S-C-O. Um, on Do you regret that decision to miss the V-E-L-L off the end now? I, or So what's weird is I was on Twitter. I was harassed. It was early oh, on. No. I left. And when I came back, someone else had taken my name. There can't be another one. That's just, that's a well, super fan. I went to them and I said, what's going on? And they were like, I was holding it for you. And I was like, I, I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to touch it now. <laughs> now you've been holding it. I don't want it anymore. You, you can keep it. Yeah. I'll just take the veil off. Uh, very well worth following this for comedy and for politics. Uh, and do buy just the funny parts, which looks a bit weird on the screen because I've got a green screen behind me now. You don't know what's behind me. Oh. Um, you can't you can't see it. I mean, maybe you can see the green screen. Uh, so do buy this book. I abs- it's absolutely. I haven't read many books this year, and it might even been last year I read this one. Uh, but it's the best one. This is the best book for you. Look, you've got it too. And there also oh. there's this one which doesn't go to green screen either. If I looked in a mirror, and it'd be infinity anyway. Thank you for Brilliant. having me, Richard. Thanks so much for doing it. Uh, we're back next week with Arthur Matthew, who wrote Matthews, who wrote uh, Father Ted, and we've got another writer. It's going to be fantastic. Father Ted, Toast of London, and has a new book out as well. So we're, we're going to see him next week. Thank you very much. Watch Ali and Herring's Twitch of Fun tomorrow at uh, 7.30 on this same channel. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. I've been listening to Rahalastapo with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Nell Scavell. Thank you to Pest. They do the music. I don't know if I've ever told you that before, but I'm very much indebted to them, as I am to my producer and friend, Chris Evans, not that one. Um, I would also like to thank everyone at ACAST, everyone at the British Comedy Guy, Ian Tunes, uh, Ian Apple, Ian Twitch, all the usual suspects. 
This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStrike.com production. Why not head to GoFasterStrike.com? You can buy the uh, book Problem with Men and get a special book plate with a penis drawn on it and my signature. Plus, uh, it's November the 19th badge. It's got everything you could ever want for a book. Uh, uh, the audiobook of The Problem with Men is great as well. Uh, and also GoFasterStrike.com slash badges, become a monthly badger, or look through GoFasterStrike.com to see all the DVDs and downloads and books you can buy from them by me and other lovely, fantastic combustors. All right, see you later, kids. See you on the flip side. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. RichardHerring.com slash ballback slash tour or RichardHerring.com slash gigs for all of the information on the tour. GoFasterStrike.com for lots of downloads and books and lots of fun. Thanks for listening. Go and listen to another one. Tell your friends about the show. Tell your friends about the tour. I love you all. I'm out. <laughs>